Have you ever been told at some point in your life that you are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, or any reason really? This podcast is meant to teach, motivate, and inspire you to never lose sight of what your true passion is and to always believe you are far more capable than you think. Welcome to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Lawrence. Each week, we'll bring you a special guest that will truly motivate, inspire, and encourage you to never lose sight of who you are, what it is you're meant to do, and to offer valuable advice on what steps you can take to help you believe in yourself, achieve your dreams, and ultimately lead you to discover your purpose, passion, and drive. Comparison is the killer of joy, right? right? Because you can't compare yourself to anybody else. Just compare yourself against yourself. And where are you today? Where were you yesterday? And and I love, uh, you know, I've seen the meme on, on Facebook where there's a mirror and there's an apple. And the apple, when you look in the mirror, is beautiful, perfect, unblemished. But then when you look at the backside of the apple that nobody can see, it's all chewed up and it's browning and all that stuff. And, and I think that's what social media is doing to kids. They feel like they're not enough, they're not doing enough, you know, they're not pretty enough, they're not smart enough, they're not fast enough, they're not involved enough. And they see all this and it's just such a shame because I feel like kids don't get to be kids anymore. Welcome back to the Why Not Me podcast. Today I have a special guest in the house, a friend of mine from my undergraduate university, Quinnipiac University. Uh, Jill Kohler. Jill is the Associate Dean of Career Development. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you so much for having me today. And uh, how are things at Quinnipiac? Things are going pretty well. Um, exciting news that we have on the career front is that uh, on the Quinnipiac front is that we're going to have a new business building going live fall of 2024. So you'll have to come up north to check that out. Wow. Yeah, I, I've been watching the development with everything that's going on there. Completely different, obviously, when we went there as students. And then you still get to uh, observe all the beauty that's going on around it. So I'm a little jealous, but I'm looking forward to seeing the growth once I get up there. Well, I always tease people and I say, you know, someday I'm going to graduate. So I think in another 15 years, I'm finally going to graduate and get to leave Quinnipiac. That's right. I, I never thought of it that way. That's a good way to look at it, actually. Yeah, it's really it's great because there are people that were there when we were students that are still working there and they still remember us. That's uh, I, I I peruse the website every now and again and see if who's there. And I'm, I'm like, wow, they're still there. They're still there. Yeah. So, uh, that kid, marks a special place, right? If someone if people are still hanging around, it can't be a bad place. If they've been right. there 40 that's years. Right. That's right. And anyone who wants to get up there and see that beautiful campus, I definitely encourage it. So it's a uh, it's a great school and beautiful campus. And that's why we went there. Right. Exactly. And if they do, they should look me up and I'll give them a personal tour. Hey, you can't beat that. I'll, I, would, I would say take her up on that. So let's jump right into it, Jill. Uh, we, our listeners love to hear about our personal stories and we all have one. So let's talk about who Jill Kohler is and your story. Okay, well, let's see. Hopefully it's not too boring. But um, so I guess I'll break it all the way down to the basics. So I'm one of four kids. So I think when you grow up having siblings, you learn that, you know, uh, teamwork, the sibling rivalry, you know, dealing with challenges and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember I used to uh, I used to rent my little brother blankets and things <laughs> when we were little. And whenever I would threaten to run away, I'd always tell my mother I was taking my sister and my little brother with me. So uh-huh. one of four growing up in New York on Long Island. So um, that's why you see my background now. So I currently am in Connecticut. And when COVID struck, I missed living on the water because water brings me so much peace. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to have to deal with flooding like Sandy did to Long Island. So I uh, bought myself a lake house. So I have that peace. But so, yeah, so I grew up on Long Island. And back in the day when we were going to school, we didn't have computers and email and the internet and all that good stuff. So um, when it came time to look for... Um, colleges, you know, we kind of rifled through hard copy books to figure out who had our majors that we thought we were interested in. But what do you know when you're 16 or 17 years old? So I picked Quinnipiac. I think I picked Marist. I picked um, York College in Pennsylvania. I picked a whole bunch of different schools. And ironically, I had gotten some free rides to some schools, but at the time I was dating a boy who was living on Long Island. So I picked the school that was closest to home. So that is how I ended up at Quinnipiac. And back then it was Quinnipiac College, uh, a school of 2000 students. And now we're at 10,000 students, 2000 just in the School of Business. But um, I believe that 
any choice that I make, whether it's good or bad or whatever, I don't believe in any regrets. And I feel like that's where I was supposed to be because that's where I landed. And it was a, a great choice for me. So what what was that journey like for you, though, like um, from a young child to where you're at today? We we often change our our roles and our thoughts you know, as we get older from, you know, from middle school into high school to college, even as adults. What was that process like for you? Like, did you that's, always want to pursue this? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. So it's funny because growing up, you know, my parents were, you know, my dad was a police officer. He didn't go to college. My mom, you know, was a was a homemaker until we were older and then she cleaned houses. So my parents didn't have any guidance for me mm -hmm. and they weren't really pushing me and encouraging me to go to college. But my older brother went to Princeton. So I was not going to be undone by him. That's right. So um, he goes to college. I go to college. Right. We got to keep that simple rivaling going. So. Um, so, yeah, my whole life, I remember, you know, in elementary school and middle school at the end of the year, I'd always collect all the dittos. I don't know if kids even know what dittos are today, but like worksheets <laughs> and things like that. And I'd always take them home so I could play school with my brothers and sisters. And, you know, I was always the teacher. And I really thought I was going to grow up and be a teacher. So, and ironically, that's how I met you because I was a math tutor at Quinnipiac. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where I thought my passion was. And so I went for it. I was um, teaching. I had my certification seven through 12. And as it turns out, um, although I was good at it, I did not really enjoy being around high school hormones because I, I, I received good grades all through college, but the only thing I got to be in was classroom management. And I should have read that sign, right? I should have looked at those tea leaves and said, you know what, you're not really good at classroom management because I, I, to this day, even with my kids, I don't know how to manage other people's behavior, right? You are who you are. You know, I can manage how I respond to other people's behavior, but I was never really good at trying to change people's behavior. And when you're a teacher, especially in high school, you have to go in and you've got to be stern face and you've got to be tough for the first two weeks and you're not supposed to smile. And I was not good at that. I was awful. Right. And um, when I was in high school teaching, they would ask me for my hall pass. They would kick me out of the faculty lounge. I'd go to uh, a football game and they would pay. They'd make me pay the full freight for students because I looked very young. And of course, back then you think, right. oh, it's terrible. But now, gosh, what I wouldn't do to get that back. Right. But um, so it just wasn't for me. So I was like, all right, I've got school loans coming due. And even though it was back in the 90s, my school loans were close to five hundred dollars a month, mm -hmm. which seems like nothing today. But back then, I mean, gosh, minimum wage for a while was four dollars right. when I was working. So it was a lot of money. So I decided, OK, this is not making me happy. And mm -hmm. another thing I hadn't taken into consideration. So if I could go back and look at the young me, I've always been a sleeper. Like I'm a night owl. That is how I'm wired. My children are the same way. So it must be an internal thing. Right. And trying to get to high school by seven o'clock in the morning, that was not me. That that didn't work well for me. And these are the things like you really have to take into consideration when you're making your job life choices. Like, right. does the timing work for me? Right. So long story short, I ended up, I was temping at different places. I temped at um, Gaylord, loved that, but it was a temp position. I also worked at a Pirelli Tire Armstrong Corporation down in New Haven. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you remember the building that has like the middle missing I when do. you're going yeah. down 95. Yeah. And it was such a surreal gig because they were all Italian men and they all sat there smoking cigarettes <laughs> and they called me girl. That was my name, girl, girl this, girl that. <laughs> <laughs> So they made me a job offer to do supply chain. So I was moving barrels of tires and I was like, you know, in a computer, not physically. And I was like, yeah, I know. Cause I looked around and everybody was miserable there. Right. So then my next gig ended up at Yale university, not a bad gig. No. And I was working in the Dean's office and uh, the man that I was working for, his name was Jeff Garten, former mm -hmm. undersecretary for commerce. And his wife is Ina Garten, the barefoot Contessa. So mm -hmm. It was a great gig because I got to eat Ina Garten's great food. I met the coolest people. Um, uh, let's see. I went, met Warren Buffett. He came into the office. Wow. I met uh, Martha Stewart. I met all these cool people because since the dean was so high level and was so connected, he would bring in all these cool speakers. 
So anyways, that's how I landed at Yale and how I got into academia. Mm -hmm. And then after a short period of time, I ended up in career development. And 25 years later, the rest is history. Yeah. In, in what Jill, what Jill was mentioning earlier, as far as her being a tutor and teacher, she, she actually makes a cameo in my book. <laughs> Why yes, not? So, so Jill's, Jill is a star in her own right. So <laughs> no, but honestly, you know, we all talk about people who shape our lives and people that come into our lives and the decisions that we make to get to ultimately what makes us happy. Right. But for me, that was you. So you Aww. helped me. Yeah, you helped me a lot. I mean, I mean, if I mentioned in the book, if I hadn't gotten the grade I needed to get on that test, I mean, I would have been repeating a class and set me back in time, you know, who, you know, and who knows what path or what would push me down. So uh, so to the listeners, take advantage of those people who and they are putting in your path and 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 utilize them and appreciate them. So thank you, Jill. You're very welcome. So I know you had some challenges along that path and you mentioned some of them, but uh, what were they? What, I mean, what were some of the things that, you know, from graduation or, or while you're at Quinnipiac, you talked about you were one of four, you know, siblings, I'm one of seven. So I know kind of the work ethic that we were probably instilled in us when we were younger and that brought you through your, you know, your younger, younger years into high school, into college, and you continue it now. So, but we all face those challenges. So what were some of those challenges for you Anything more um, that you, yeah. you know, that you liked about the challenge? Does it have to be a bad challenge or disliked, or what would you differently do differently? So I think part of it is I think when you're young and you're going through what is a challenge, you don't even, you don't always know it's a challenge. It's just what you do, right? So I started working when I was twelve because. You know, like I said, my dad was a police officer. He didn't make a lot of money. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I wanted different things. And I and and my parents weren't able to provide those things for me. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of knew, like, if I want something, I have to figure out how I'm going to go about getting it. So it, when I was 12 years old, I got a, a work permit from the school, and I started with a penny saver route. So every Friday night, I'd sit there rolling up the penny savers and putting together all the different coupon books, and right. I would saddle it up on the side of my bicycle. And at the crack of dawn, I'd be out there, rain or snow or whatever, delivering the penny savers. Mm -hmm. And that was my first job. And in tandem with that, I would also babysit because I've always loved kids. Mm -hmm. um, so I would babysit. And to get myself through school, because, you know, again, my parents, they didn't know a lot about college at all. It was it was it was on me to figure that out. Right. So while I was at Quinnipiac, I always had three jobs. Mm -hmm. I worked uh, in personnel and payroll as a work study student because of the financial aid portion. So I did that 20 hours a week. And then I tutored, as you know, mm -hmm. and what I would do is every time there was an opportunity for me to move up in um, tutoring pay by taking additional certifications, I would just do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. So I kept raising my salary, you know, as quickly as I could, because, hey, if you're going to be there working, you might as well make the most money. Right. And so I did that. And yeah. then to get my room and board paid for at Quinnipiac, I was a residential assistant. So um, so I had those three jobs every day while I was on campus. And then during the summers, I worked two full-time jobs so that I could make enough for the main deposit for school. And then I took out loans for the rest. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I, in some ways I feel sorry for my children mm -hmm. because I, I may not have done it right by them because my kids have never had to really work mm -hmm. to get what they need to survive. You know, I remember when my car broke down I was on the side of the road on Dixwell Avenue in, Ham in Hamden, and we didn't have cell phones. I had no money saved up. I had no idea how I was going to get my car fixed, but I needed my right. car to get back and forth. Um, and that was a real challenge and a struggle, but I figured it out. Right. Where my kids today, you know, if something happens with them, no problem. We put our credit card out. We get the car mm -hmm. fixed. Um, if they need whatever, we we give them the credit card and they figure it out. Right. Um, I remember two years ago when I moved to this lake house that I'm in now, my daughter confided in me that she had never cleaned a toilet and it's a duplex. So my kids are on one side of the house. I'm on the other. Right. And she said that she sat there crying because she didn't know how to clean. And, you know, that's on me because I, I hadn't thought about it, but I thought I was doing my kids a service by making sure I wasn't taking time away right. from them on the weekends when I wasn't working. So I had a housekeeper, mm -hmm. but that didn't set my kids up to learn how to clean. Um, of my two kids, one, well, they both, I actually do have to say, they do have very strong work ethics, mm -hmm. 
but um, one of my daughters is more willing to kind of accept help where my little one refuses to accept help. She'll say, this is on me. This is my responsibility. And she will save up and work for it. So it's kind of interesting the way that works out. But I think that even though those were real challenges for me, it made me who I am today. And I always have a, I'll figure it out problem, you know, kind right. of attitude. And I think, um, I think uh, what the reason why, you know, a lot of the connections that we make, Jill, throughout our, you know, our younger years, I'll, again, through, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now when we talk to our kids as well. So we try and let them know you're going to establish relationships and connections along the way. Uh, and and just looking for those people and how they can affect what you take from each person. But what you mentioned is the reason why I think way we connected is we're very similar. So I'm one of seven. You know, my father didn't graduate. You know, he, his father died at a young age, so he had a third, fourth grade education. So he worked four or five jobs. So I saw that. You saw that growing up. You saw uh, that constant work. So the times are definitely a bit different. But I think I'm a firm believer, even with our kids today, they they pick up what we, you know, what we're giving them. So uh, it may not be a similar background to ours, but I have no doubt knowing you that your kids are picking up like your strong work ethic. I mean, it's just it's it's kind of hard to avoid and miss that. So we're setting those examples constantly. So but uh, I like I like to sit down and have those conversations with them because, yes, they have a completely different life than we had. But that doesn't mean uh, they can't use what we're, you know, the examples that we're setting before them. So the challenges may be a little bit different, but they're definitely facing challenges that we never had to face, right? Yeah, I, you are 100% right. I see, especially working with students all the time, you know, I've been doing this my whole life, essentially. The fact, I, I, I believe it's all social media, you mm -hmm. know, the comparison the, you know, it, and comparison, I always say to my kids, comparison is the killer of joy, right? right? Because you can't compare yourself to anybody else. Just compare yourself against yourself. And where are you today? Where were you yesterday? And, and I love, uh, you know, I've seen the meme on on Facebook where there's a mirror and there's an apple. And the apple, when you look in the mirror is beautiful, perfect, unblemished. But then when you look at the backside of the apple that nobody can see, it's all chewed up and it's browning and all that stuff. And, and I think that's what social media is doing to kids. They feel like they're not enough. They're not doing enough. You know, they're not pretty enough. They're not smart enough. They're not fast enough. They're not involved enough. Right. And they see all this. And it's just such a shame because I feel like kids don't get to be kids anymore. You know, mm -hmm. how often do we see kids playing outside, you know, playing kickball or capture the flag or tag mm -hmm. or whatever? You just don't see that anymore. And and it's it's sad to me that they don't have that, you know, growing up. Yeah, it's, it, it's definitely different. And I think really what we can do is is to help push them, you know, towards um, something that really that, you know, their light shining. And we, ours was a little bit different. Yeah, we went outside and we did some things and we explored and now everything's different. There's technologies in your face constantly. So just the encouragement of getting out there. Hey, look, let's go for a hike. Let's go for a walk. Let's, let's do something active because we were always encouraged. That was completely our, our upbringing was different, right? With a, <laughs> We're always outside. We're always doing things like that. And even on even when I go to a college campus and I see it, it's completely the environment's different from you know, I'm dating myself and probably us, right? But we we go on, we walk around. I'm a big attention to detail person, and I'm looking. Like, how is that different than when we were in school? And you know, when we were on campus and we we're walking around, even seeing graduate school for me is everyone's. You know, there's a lot of socialization. Less people or faces are in their phones or their iPads or whatever. But people were reading, laughing, throwing frisbees, and now it's a, it's definitely a different world. So I think as parents, you know, we can only do our best and continue to set those examples. I agree with you, hundred percent. So let's jump back over to your career because I'm, I'm I'm fascinated with your path and, and everyone that you met along the way to kind of where you're doing right now. So, what um, advice would you give someone who's thinking of a similar career path? Uh, the do's, don'ts, and maybe some things you wish you did differently. You know, sure. you had an interesting what you wanted to be a teacher. So, and then you switched over, and now you're in a role really that I think is helping a lot of kids. I, I hope that that I believe it's true. And I, I hope that I am helping a lot of people. So for me, as I mentioned earlier, I never believe in regret. I think we go through what we go through. And, you know, it's, it's, 
it's either a blessing or a lesson, right? So, you know, I don't regret going through education to become a teacher. Um, you know, had had I done it all over again, I might have been, um, you know, an elementary school teacher because I think that would have been a better fit for me because of the whole classroom management thing mm-hmm. where you can you can treat them a little differently than you can high school kids. So that's what I would have done differently. But um, I, I'm very happy with where I ended up. And I was able to use all the skills that I had learned all through college, you know, all through, you know, being a teacher into my current experience, because, you know, as a, an associate dean for career development at Quinnipiac, you know, I still teach, mm-hmm. which is great. And that college kids work perfectly for me because either they don't show up or they fall asleep, but I can guarantee you nobody will fall asleep in my class because they do. Right. they'd be too afraid because I'm a little bit hyper. So um, my reviews always say, Professor Kohler is always very enthusiastic. Um, so I think that's how they say she's crazy. Um, so, you know, I use right. that skill. Um, I have to present all the time to admissions events. I have to present to faculty. I have to present to all different student bodies. Mm-hmm. And what I learned in teaching was, you know, keeping them engaged and polling and, you know, eye contact and all that good stuff. Right. So all of those things I still use. And the one thing I would say to to people out there trying to figure out their way is, you know, go with your gut and go with what you think is going to make you happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I never it's so funny because I look at kids today and they come into my office and say, oh, you know, I want to make it. I want to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You know, that's some people's motivation. I never remember thinking to myself, hey, I want to make a lot of money. I just remember thinking, you know, I want to help people. I want to be. I want to be a part of people's lives where I make a mm-hmm. difference. And that's all that really kind of mattered to me. And right. if you're happy, then everything else will follow. Right. right. So, right. Um, so I, you know, I found when I was working at Yale, I loved the environment. And then pretty quickly I got um, invited to interview for a job in career development. I knew nothing about career development at the time. So I guess my bit of advice to people is taking advantage of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, they're scary. You know, stepping outside your comfort zone is always uncomfortable, right? But if you don't do that, you don't grow. So when I stepped out into that position, I remember they were a little skeptical. They invited me to interview because they knew my work ethic because they saw me working in the dean's office, but they wanted to roll out a computer system. And at the time, what do I know? We didn't even have email in, in, in college. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but my then boss, uh, the dean, he went up to the person who was hiring and said, Jill can do anything. Give her this job. And it was great because, you know, I was able to approve myself mm-hmm. to my former boss who then was willing to stick up for me in my current role. And that's really where my career took off was getting into the career office at Yale. I started out doing recruiting. Then at one point, my my title was analytics and technology which is hilarious. It's like, what do I know about analytics and technology, right? Right. But but I could spec out a system and tell people from what I knew what I needed. I didn't know how to build it, but I could tell you what was needed. Mm -hmm. And I could work with the technology people to create what it was that we needed. Um, And, you know, I didn't know anything about stats, but I was pretty good at math. So I was able to figure that out. And we went from using Lotus one, two, three or whatever to Excel. And I was able to figure that out. Right. And now I'm a mad woman with my formulas and all that. So when students come in and I show them stuff, they're like, I didn't know how to do that. And I'm like, the old lady's teaching you young buck new tricks. So so the main thing is just recognizing the opportunity, taking the chance Nothing is permanent, right? So if if it doesn't work out, then you try something else. But not to be afraid of that because you if you don't take that opportunity, you're never going to know where it's going to land you. I'm I'm laughing because I'm I'm wondering how many listeners are going to be writing down what is Lotus? <laughs> <laughs> is it a car or what it what it may be. So uh, but I, I laugh because it's it's right you're right because we didn't have that and I, I remember yeah, you know, I'm sure you do as well when when we did have the internet and email and all that came about. So it's like, now it's just like second thought for like my, for my uh, 12 year old. So who's like, Oh yeah, fire off an email at 12 years old. So, you, you know, can you imagine us doing that? So. Oh gosh, I'm so thankful for the internet because <laughs> I remember when my kids were little, they asked me how many countries are there? And I was like, 
oh, gee whiz. I, so I was like, oh, I'm like, well, what do you, how many countries do you think there are? And right. I'm like, I'll be right back. I have to go to the ladies room. So I go into the ladies room. I get my phone out. I go, right. oh, there are 92 countries. Okay. So I yeah. go back out and I'm like, well, what did you come up with? And they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh no, actually there are 92. So it's like, <laughs> it really helps it's, us. It's, look it's we know what we're Yes, it's definitely better because I can relate my with uh, the way they're my son and daughter were learning uh, math, and you know he's you were you were my tutor, and my wife's the math expert in family. But I had to like I'm googling, I'm I'm YouTube and I'm like, how do you do this? Like this math, I haven't thought about this in years, let alone the way they're teaching it now. So thank goodness for the technology now. <laughs> I don't know if I was a parent back back then, like what it would have been like, you know, looking through like encyclopedias or whatever you <laughs> to find the answer. <laughs> Exactly. Here's the irony. So my youngest is at Quinnipiac right now. This is her first semester and she is having trouble with her math class. So, and when I try to do it, I don't remember how to do it. Isn't that terrible? It makes me feel like such a dunce. But I remember when they were younger and I would help them with their math homework, they would yell at me because I would start just answering all the questions because I was so excited that I knew them, the answers. And uh, but now I have to send my daughter to the learning center at Quinnipiac so she can get help with her math because I don't want to steer her wrong. Right. I mean, I guess, you know, if you're not using it, you're you're going to lose it, but it's never really lost. It's I'm still it's still it's sure. But it's the back in the mind. You're, you can pull it out. I think you I think you can do it. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about let's switch gears real quick. Let's talk about um, the word passion. I mean, we all hear it at some point in our lives. Right follow your passion. Uh, that'll ultimately lead you to the career that is meant for you. It doesn't always work out that way. What would you say to that? What does passion mean to you? And and how does it apply to really ultimately what we do for a living? That's going to make us, we talked about being happy earlier. So to me, you know, going to Quinnipiac and not thinking about, I wasn't thinking about, oh, I want to make tons of money. I want to be happy. So when I graduated with my degree, I'm doing nothing. I healthcare administration. I went and worked for the hospital, worked in the insurance industry and made good money, but was miserable. But what that ultimately wasn't my passion. My passion was sports and fitness. And that's where I am today. But can you talk just a little about that? Well, first off, it makes me really sad that you said that some people never, you know, really kind of get their passion or connect with their passion. That that makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. And I think that is 100% why I have stayed in career development for so long. Um for me, passion is just doing something that you love, something that excites you, something that makes you happy, something that mm-hmm. makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so 25, 25 years into career development, I love it as much today as I did back 25 years ago. And I'm actually so thankful and appreciative. I, I walk onto the Quinnipiac campus and I still take pictures and because mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that you know they took a chance on me 17 years ago because it's not a given right it's not a given that somebody's going to see your value and your worth but i'm so thankful that i was able to convey that Mm -hmm. and because there were people still at quinnipiac that knew me i had a i had an additional voice kind of chipping in Mm -hmm. so for me it's just finding what makes you happy and when i'm doing something at quinnipiac and it's it's not something i love you know, I try to get through it as quickly as possible. I give it my 100% because it's important, but it's not what I love. But I find myself that even outside of my job, where I'm being paid to do what I do. So for example, yesterday, I was at a career fair um, down in New Haven at the Schubert. Mm-hmm. And it was a part of a chamber event. And there were students coming up to me. And, you know, it's not my job to help them. It's it's they're looking for opportunities. And I'd say, well, let me see your resume. And I would look at their resume and I'd give them advice or mm-hmm. I would say, well, what about this? Or what are you thinking next steps? And and just seeing that the light bulb go off like, right. oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I think getting people to think about things that they hadn't thought about before. Like, what's better than that? Like mm-hmm. that's that's changing minds. That's changing lives. And, you know, when I can get a student who feels completely helpless end up landing this amazing job that they never thought that they were capable of, but I was able to help them find their voice and help them find their confidence. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times people just short sell themselves and they just don't know how to project who they are and the value. But finding that is just that that's my passion, just helping people find their voice, find what's going to make them happy in life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell all the parents when I meet with them too, like, I'm not here to make sure that your students do what you want them to do. My Mm -hmm. job, I, I report to your students. I want to make sure that they're going to be happy because I've been blessed to be happy for 25 years. 
And that's my goal for everybody I come in contact with. How can we help you get to where you're going to be happy? Right. And I, and, and I agree 100% because what I write about in my book is a lot of times we're, we're so forced down one direction of what either society is telling us to go or our upbringing, our background. We don't know any different. You know, we don't know. I didn't know. I mean, one of being one of seven, I was the first to graduate high school and college. So, I mean, have loved my parents, love my father, the work ethic that, and I, I got that all from them, but uh, I didn't want that path. You know, I didn't, that wasn't what made me happy. I knew I wanted more. So ultimately, even from a young age at 11 years old, when I was delivering my first job as a paperboy. So you start working, you start having this passion. I love sports. I love fitness. You know, I don't know how I got into um, healthcare, but <laughs> I got a job <laughs> at a hospital working in the kitchen and a friend of mine. So, you know, I guess that's where it started. But ultimately, you know, it, it really wasn't about that. You know, that money, that passion was always burning inside that, you know, once you get into some direction of like, okay, this is where, you know, I've got family, friends in this. I think this is where I'm meant to go. When someone like you, hey, let me look at a resume. I didn't have that person for me uh, because my parents didn't have that education. You know, they, they were blue collar workers and that's what they knew. So I had to seek that person out. So so my advice would be is to find someone like if someone is searching and struggling is find somebody like you or anyone that that has uh, an, a listening ear or an eye for that that can help them and push them in direction that ultimately pulls that passion out from inside because it's, I think a lot of people push it away and push it down and just go with, you know, generic cliche, go with the flow. And, and then they, then they're miserable in their career. And then, and then they end up thinking that's, that's the end. Well, I think you have more that can come out. Right. So um, just to I follow. Think, yeah, yeah. I think part of that is encouraging people to get a mentor. Right. Right. So, you know, who do you look up to? And then asking if that person will be a mentor. Right. I always tell my students that, you know, when people get to our age, we've kind of hit where we want to be. We've achieved our, our career goals. Mm -hmm. And for us, what gives us excitement and happiness is giving back. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody calls me up and says, Jill, I want to hear about your life. I want to hear how you got to where you, what type of advice do you have for me? Well, what makes that person feel more special than that? Like this person sought me out because they want advice and they need help. Right. So finding a, a mentor and somebody who's going to real talk with you, right? Because if you're in high school and you talk to your career counselor or whatever they, they're called nowadays, they're, they're not necessarily able to give you real talk because they have to stay within confinements, right? So they have to push you towards right. a specific area and things like that. But just finding somebody that will give you that real talk. So for me, I picked because I'm very strategic, mm -hmm. I picked the head of HR mm -hmm. because I'm in career development, career development, you know, is similar. Right. And she has given me real talk where mm -hmm. she's told me on an occasion, Jill, you're being a jerk. And I was like, Whoa, what's that about? Mm -hmm. And she was a hundred percent right. But I was so glad that she told me that because who else, who else would tell me that people I'm working with aren't going to tell me that, right? My boss right. isn't going to tell me that, right. but she set me straight and she might've saved my career because for a while I was getting kind of grumpy about the way things were changing at Quinnipiac and I was complaining, which isn't really my style, but she was able to say to me, Jill, who wants to come into your office and talk to you if you're complaining, right? Right. So I was like, you're so right. So then I changed my attitude and I started saying when say, when my boss would come in, instead of saying, oh, I'm so swamped or this, I, he would come into my office and I'd say, what can I do to make your day better? Mm -hmm. How can I help you? And then a little pro tip here, people, find out what your boss's favorite candy is and have a bowl <laughs> of it. So then he would come to my office whenever he his favorite candy was a peppermint patty. So he would stop by to grab a peppermint patty. And then I was able to connect with him on a different level, on a social level, not just, you know, what are the deliverables? Like, how are things going? How's your dog? How, right. I heard your wife was sick. And then that's how you really start to develop relationships on a different level. But finding a mentor to set you straight. Right. I, I, I would say that, you know, creating that network creating that mentor and build, you know, that, that, um, that around you, that network around you will ultimately help you when you, when you're struggling with identifying, you know, what your passion is, what your purpose, purpose is and have somebody to lean on and don't try and do it alone. So, um, love that. And I love that, um, peppermint patty advice because it's, 
I actually have, I wonder, I was wondering why my staff was bringing me protein bars, but well, that's a story for another day. <laughs> so. Maybe you get hangry and they know if they're going to talk to I you. I know, about maybe, maybe it's like that Snickers commercial. So they're going to feed you first, get you kind of level and that's then right. have the conversation. That's right. Then I'm, I'm going to ask for that raise. <laughs> so. Uh, let's talk, let's talk about that's a good segue into um to dealing with adversity. You know, we all face that uh in our life and in you know in, in school and just in general. So what type of adversity do, did you face um to get to where you are? And even today, like what are some of those things that you um love about your career, which I know you love mentoring and helping the kids, but what's some of the adversity you're dealing with uh, right now and how would you advise anyone to deal with that? Um, well, I'm, obviously, we all have adversity. Um, growing up for me, like I said, you know, not coming from a family without a ton of money and and wanting specific things, you know, I, I had to work through that. So I think adversity helps make you stronger, but it stinks while you're going through it. But right. you got to look back and appreciate it at the end. So for me, yes, I love my job, but do I love everything about my job? No, um, of course not. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, I... Um, Lost a backup. When I first started at Quinnipiac alone, I was told in a few years I'd have three to four additional staff members. Mm. Here I am going on my 17th year and I still just have one person working with me. So, you know, that that was not what I signed up for. Right. right. So I left Yale where I had 13 staff members working with 400 students. And wow. now I'm with two staff members working with 2000 students. Wow. That's so. Right. It's big. And but for me, like I can't change who I am. I believe in providing that Ritz Carlton service. And I don't care who you are or how you found me. Everybody's going to get the same exact service from me because that's important. Everybody's a person. Everybody deserves the same. Students are paying a lot of money to go to Quinnipiac. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to give them my all. Do I wish I could do things better? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Like, If I had my dream working at Quinnipiac, what I would do is at a minimum when students hit senior year, I would have a team of relationship managers that would oversee and check in with the students. Mm -hmm. So I have 400 students graduating. I would love to have eight people breaking the students up into groups of 50 that would check in and say, hey, John Smith, how are you doing? Where are you with your career search? Do you need any help? How can I support you? So there are things that I would love to do that would make me so happy and I'd feel like I was really making a, an impact for everybody, not just the people that seek me out. So that that kind of bums me out. Right. But during my workday, not as much time as I would like it's spent working with students because I have administrative duties to do. Right. In addition to doing the career stuff, I oversee and manage all the administrative assistants. So with that comes, you know, some adversity. There's, you know, this person's not getting along with that person. So I have right. to sit down and work with them and um, or when people leave, I have to hire new people to replace those people. I have to spend time doing payroll, you know, signing off on timesheets. Mm-hmm. I'm on search committees. I'm in meetings upon meetings upon meetings about things that I don't see making an impact, but I have to sit through them. Right. So, so there's a lot of things that I do in my role that I do not love, but it gets me to do what I do love by by getting through that adversity. And I just try to go at it like. I'm not loving this, right. but it is what it is. And this is what I need to do. And I always try to go into it with a positive attitude mm-hmm. and a smile. And if somebody needs help, raise my hand. How can I help? I, I don't know anything about this, right. but if you help me, then I'm going to help you. And then I find the positive in that negative. And I love that. I love that uh, you're the second person in my career. I've heard say the Ritz Carlton service. Oh, really? Yes. It's so funny. So, so to our listeners, Joe, what what does that mean? What does elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I know what you mean, but it's it's phenomenal so, and it's so okay. true. So for me, um, I learned the Ritz Carlton service at Quinnipiac. I'm sorry, at Yale. Uh, early on at Yale, you know, I was in my early 20s, and I had this boss, and I won't name her name, but you know, I thought that she was a bit wacky, and she would come to my desk and ask me for something, and then she would stand at my desk waiting for the answer. And I remember I'd have to say to her. I look forward to getting this answer to you, but I'm going to need five minutes to pull this together. Can I go to your office when I'm ready? It's so like I kind of had to manage her 
But she's the person who taught me the Ritz-Carlton surface that, you know, the students are always right. Whatever they need is what they need. And maybe it's really not what they need, but it's what they perceive that they need. So we've got to help them with that. We've got to, we've got to do that. So if you go into the Ritz-Carlton, whatever you need, somebody's going to help try to get a solution or answer or provide. And that's what I do in in all that I do at work. Um, I never go to bed without reading every single email. I don't always answer the emails because if it's going to take a lot of um, brain power and thought, right. and I don't feel like I'm in, in a good space to do that, I'll write back, received your email, and I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. Right. So that's part of my Ritz-Carlton, that everybody feels like, I saw that you were responding to me. I'm responding back to let you know that you were seen and heard. Right. And when I have better information, I'm going to follow up. So I think that's part of it. And and I think treating everybody equally. You know, right. I don't care if you're a first year student or, or 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 a senior and I don't care if you have a 1.0 or a 4.0. Right. You you deserve the same service as everybody else. And for me, I try to make commitments to the students where if I have a student come into my office and they are obviously freaking out and nervous, right. I will say to them, "We got this." Like I will meet with you every single week until you get a job. Right. So I'm with you. You're not alone. We're going to do this together. So that way it takes that one piece of stress away from them. Like, okay, I don't have to figure this out alone. I've got somebody helping me. And then I'll do whatever I can in my power. Look through my LinkedIn. I've got 5,500 people on my LinkedIn. Who do you want me to make a connection with? Let me teach you how to make a connection. Let me teach you how to say it. Let me let me teach you the warm up. You know, right. what's your elevator pitch? How are you going to open up that conversation? You know, what are you going to ask for? You're not going to ask for a job. You're going to ask for advice. What mm-hmm. type of advice do you want? And making sure that people, when they do that, are sincere and speaking from their heart. They're not just making a call and, and, and asking questions that have no meaning to them. Like, what do they truly want to find out? Like, what what is this fact-finding mission we're on? But I think to me, that's what the Ritz-Carlton is, is just making sure that people end up receiving what they feel they they deserve. Right. And I think that's that can bode well for anyone in whatever you're trying to accomplish in life or your career is just to be treat people nicely and Mm -hmm. to help and just to help them and be kind. Right. So, and it doesn't have to just be in the workplace either, right? I right. mean, we can do this with our children. We can do this right. with our significant others and spouses, right? right? What do you need and how can I help you? I think right. we lose sight of that when we get into our relationships and we're in 25 years. Mm-hmm. Like we forget that they're they're a partner with us as well and they have needs. How do we help support them? Right. And it's so important because just how a simple, I like to say with our team and our staff is to greet someone by their name, how good that makes you feel. Just think about if you're, Jill's walking into Quinnipiac and you're just having a bad morning and, you know, you might see the custodian saying, hey, hey, Miss Jill, how are you? Hope you have a great day. Good day. Just someone saying your name and just saying goodbye to you. Have a good day. Just how if you're having that moment, never um, doubt that what your words matter. So that's the biggest lesson that that I could take from that Ritz-Carlton services to make someone feel important, no matter where they are, who they where they come from and how important that is, because. First time I ever stepped into Ritz Carlton, I felt I thought I was a millionaire. I was like, "Wow, they know my name. We got here. We had this fancy thing in, in the room, and I'm like, wow. I'm just like stuff that you're just not used to, and you just feel like important. So like, I think that that really does matter. So that can really take someone a long way, especially if they're starting out, a young person with their career, is to remember that along the way. So super, super great advice, and thanks for touching on that. So let's talk about drive real quick. So we all have it. Uh, and some struggle some struggle to let their drive out. What are some of the things that you deal with your students in your in your current role when you when you're talking to them about some things you may notice or some advice you may give out about you know like hey I'm coming to your office I'm struggling and but you notice like you know my personal drive is just not there like I, I say I want to do this but I'm not showing you those things or doing anything to to make it happen. How what do you deal with? How do you deal with that? Well, so for me, I'm I'm a straight shooter and I think I get away with a lot more than I should because of my personality. And I've always been told that uh, my former colleague used to say to me every day, she should say, Jill, if you worked in corporate, you would have been fired already because (laughs) I'm just very, I'm painfully honest um, because one, I don't have a good memory. So, you know, if I'm not honest, I'm not going to remember that I said whatever. So it's best to be painfully honest. So when I'm working with students, you know, I'll flat out say, if I have a student that comes into my office and they're behaving like I'm going to do all the work for them and they're not showing me that they're contributing and that they're passionate about 
doing what it is that they're saying, if their words aren't matching with their demeanor, and I, I'll send them away because my time is valuable, right? right. I want to help everybody, but I want to help people that want to be helped. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to spoon feed people. I'm not here to give you a job. You know, I always give um, the example when I'm at an open house with parents, I'll say, I'm not here to hand your students a fish. I'm here to teach your students how to fish so they can do it on their own, right? right. I want people to be self-sufficient. So if people come to me and they show me the drive, I will give them everything. If they don't show me the drive, I will be very honest and say, you know, is everything okay? You seem a little off today. You don't seem very engaged. Is there a better time that you want to work with me? Because I really want to help you and help you get to where you want to be. But I I don't feel like you're, you're ready to hear what I have to say and you're not really listening. Um, So, you know, sometimes that's the kick in the pants that they need. Right. That, oh, she's not just going to she's not just going to rework my resume and make it perfect or she's not going to write a cover letter for me. She's not going to apply for jobs for me. Like mm-hmm. I will bend over backwards to help somebody who's showing me that they care. But if you're not putting that effort in, you know, I will ask because everybody's got stuff. Right. right. You know, maybe they didn't sleep well. Maybe they're not feeling well. Maybe they got bad news at home. Maybe it's not a good day for us to be working on this. Maybe they're just not ready yet. Right. So in that case, I will I will say let's reschedule. But I do make sure that I put them back on my calendar and I circle back to make sure that I give them another chance because Mm -hmm. you can't teach people drive. You can't teach somebody motivation. Mm -hmm. You could try to build up their confidence and you can try to show them what can be done and and their value. But if they don't feel it and engage, there's not a lot you can do. Right. Right. No, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, often we may struggle on certain days or, you know, and and you you said it yourself is those things you just need to a good word is yeah let's just reschedule let's 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 put it to the side and let's focus on something else because uh, it's important that you do have that drive if you're if you're delivering in a in a position of, of like what you're doing um, I think you have to be a very driven person to help people especially on a daily basis and the toll that must take on you is to even so we have those check ins personally so that we have. So we're on, when we're trying to help others and determine that, hey, you know, David's drive is just, you know, he's, it's just not there today. It doesn't mean he doesn't have drive. It's just, right. it's just it, what's, let's find the root cause of it. And that gets down to the, go back to the Ritz-Carlton is to make them feel important and, and talk to them and and be nice and be kind and cost you nothing to, um, exactly. uh, to help that person. You know, maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe they were always told their entire life that they're, you know, they have no <laughs> self drive and you know if you hear that enough and you get pushed down enough it's you know you're that's just kind of how you carry yourself through life i've seen it with a lot of our clients in the fitness industry and and staffing and things along the way is just they have the drive it's just that you have to help them find it so exactly. Um, exactly. and uh clearly when I, when i'm talking to you and knowing you your your biggest joy is helping students so am i wrong i'm not wrong with that hopefully not but i can see it when you're talking about it and, and um so I love that. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is because I love, especially with a young daughter, is finding friends and and just people and fellow peers who are successful female um, entrepreneurs um, in their successful in their careers. So um, what advice would you give, like, say, young Jill or my daughter, she's 14, like that young trying to decide what how to pursue really what, you know, it may be. Going back to what we talked about earlier, but now I want to purely talk about let's talk from a female side because um, I think it's important that we have role models. Like our parent, we're role models for our own kids. But like I love to see, hey, my daughter, hey, check out friend of mine went to college. Look how successful she. You know, continue to follow somebody like that because it's only going to motivate you to want to to do well as well. So, what advice would you give to that young female? Well, I think it starts really early on, before they're even in high school. You know, there's an expression: "Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." Right. I'm sure you've heard that before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really true. You know, I've seen it even with my own kids and, and, you know, with people at school, you know, from the get go, surround yourself with people that have the same motivations and drive and thought when you're a kid, you're not thinking about it in that way. But, you know, if somebody just wants to sit around all day and they don't want to do the things that you want to don't you want to do, you want to explore, you want to hike, you want to go to the mall, you want to go to a movie, you want to play. That is a different type of person than you if the person just wants to sit and sit in their room all day gaming, right? So yes. finding people that are like you, um, finding people that have similar drives, you know, similar drive as you, mm-hmm. so that 
you can feed off of each other. That energy is very contagious. So that's the first thing. So surround your people, surround yourself, create your village with people that have similar energies. Love it. Um, Because I think that makes such an impact. You know, I I remember back in high school, uh, I used to sell candy bars because I saw an opportunity when you're talking about entrepreneurship. There was a, a fellow on my bus who was selling pot and I was like, well, he's selling pot. So Hey, I sell snacks when they get munchies. Look at this. This could be, (laughs) this could be a good thing. So that's how I made my first bank account was, you know, really big was by selling candy bars after the guy in the bus was selling his pot. So, but (laughs) he hung out with friends all like him. Right. So they all were doing the same thing. They were all showing up to school stone. They were all not very motivated. I assume that none of them went to college because you know, if, if the people around you aren't talking about it, you're not getting the same energy and the same, where are you going to go? You know, have you done this? Right. So I think that's part of it. Your, your village, just finding your village and just looking at opportunities, accepting opportunities, being okay to try something and fail. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that, you, you don't know what you're going to enjoy. Right. So like I had said earlier, like I thought I was going to love being a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. That that was not for me, but, but I didn't let that hold me down and say, Oh, my life is terrible. I'm going to do nothing. I said, okay, well, what can I do with the skills that I have and how can I transfer it to something else? Mm -hmm. Just always looking at, you know, what do you enjoy doing and and how does that transfer to something else down the line? Um, And I think the other thing is women in general, and, you know, I'm not a huge feminist or anything, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that we feel confident like sharing our value mm-hmm. and 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 going after what is deserved. Mm-hmm. For me, when I was at Quinnipiac, the, after the first year, my boss was fired mm-hmm. and I had little ones. So on my way to work on a Monday, you know, I had been looking at jobs and things like that. And I'm like, okay, they're making a lot more money than what I'm making. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to pay money to work here. So I went into my boss on a whim and I said, listen, I don't believe in counter offers. I think that's a waste of everybody's time. You know, there's a lot of job opportunities that are available for me. My resume is in order. I would really like to stay at Quinnipiac, but it's going to cost me money to work here because you fired my boss. So I have to take on all of that extra work. Right. I would like a 20% increase. People don't do that because they don't know their value. They don't feel confident that people are going to say, okay, Jill's valuable enough to, to fight for and to keep right. her and, and to give her that. And so my boss came back to me and he said, I was only able to get 16.5%, but I took it all the way up to the president. And I laughed to myself and I said, thank you very much. I appreciate you going to bat for me. Mm-hmm. And now that's where that loyalty came in, right? Because now I'm always going to be loyal. He fought, he fought for me. Right. But in my mind, I only wanted 10%, right? I, if I got right. 10%, I would have been happy. But, you know, right. I had to kind of push it a little bit. Right. So I just think that, you know, asking for what you need. People don't ask for help. They mm-hmm. don't um, ask for respect. They don't ask for what they need. Just if you ever feel that you're not getting any of those things, stand up for yourself, fight for that, because that's important. And that that's where your confidence comes from too. Love it. Yeah. And uh, I see it with uh, my daughter's currently taking an entrepreneur class in high school as a freshman. And I love to see her, her brain just think and the wheel spinning and just, it's awesome. I mean, because it's so, it makes you feel good that, you know, she's strong and she's confident and, you know, and it's great advice. So uh, big reason why I brought you on. So uh, you ready for a little bit of uh, rapid fire? Because as we wrap this yeah, up, I'm ready. Okay. All right. So I know you know a lot. You've been through a lot. So talk to me about would you ever consider putting that pen to paper and putting that in a big old book? Nope. <laughs> that, you know, that, funny, was, I, that was easy. <laughs> I went to um, I, I went to a psychic. People believe in them or they don't. And the person told me that they saw me writing a book. Um, and it's funny because in, in a sense, I have written a book because I have a career guide that I use. Right. Um, but, you know, for me, it's it's not about me getting famous on what I've done or or what I know. It's, it's me kind of sharing it in individual pieces and motivating the individual person mm-hmm. to person. So for me, that's just never been something, not, never been on my radar. Well, that's okay because what you're doing now, you, you're your own book. So you're a daily book. So I love it. <laughs> You're, you're if I want to collab with you, you let me know because that's, you know. That's right. That's right. So, and then fun fact, uh, I'd like to ask all my guests a little fun fact about uh, something that they secretly have a talent or skill that nobody knows, or maybe, maybe they do. Uh, so what, what's Jill? You got anything you want to share with her, with us in the mm-hmm. audience? 
secret talent. I make really big babies. Uh, both my kids were 10 pounds. So that's a, that's a pretty good pound that you can't do, Dave. Because no, I, can, I cannot do that. You're right. So look at that talent I have. Let's see. <laughs> talent. I think the talent that I have is that I can get people to kind of confide and tell me anything, even if they don't want to. I don't know what it is. Ever since I was a kid, people always just confided in me because maybe I helped put them at ease or maybe I have a funny looking face. I, I don't know what it is, but people have always shared things with me. I remember when I was working at Yale, this person came into my office and back in the nineties, you know, you know, being a lesbian wasn't a common thing. People didn't talk about it. And I didn't really know this person very well. And they came into my office and they told me they were a lesbian. And I was like, that's awesome. Good for you. Like, let's talk about this. Like, that's, that's great. Like, how's it working out for you? You know, right. you know, that sort of thing. So like people have always told me things that, so I have this like magical, like, I'll get it out of you. Yeah. Um, and that worked well with my kids too, because they they thought that I could get things out of them, but it's really just that I saw something, you know, in passing. So I had a little bit of information. Right. So they thought I had more than I did. Um, but another thing is I love to race cars. I love driving really quick. So I didn't I did not know that about you. Yeah, that's something you didn't know. So um I've driven Lamborghinis, I've driven Ferraris on tracks. Um not too long ago, I went to the Thomaston Speedway and I drove a NASCAR or retired NASCAR. Oh, wow. Um so I love that. I love speed and I love and do I have tickets? Yes, I just got a ticket like two weeks ago. Oh no. Um, <laughs> um so I just love speed. So that's why I can't drive a fast car. Because, you know, that's probably my New York roots, right? Because you can't really drive very fast in New York because there's so many lights. But when you're on that open road, I think it's that competitiveness yes. that, you know, when you're driving, like, well, I can I can go faster than them. And, you know, I just I love that kind of like driving fast and, you know, getting in and out. And I, think you were, a, I think you were a NASCAR driver or a race car driver in another life. So maybe, maybe I was maybe, Danica. Or maybe that's your maybe that's your next career path. Maybe there you go. So Never too not, late. I'm not agile to get in and out of the cars anymore, though. Like we have to oh, go no. into the window. Technology, Jill. Technology. Now they're they're they'll probably make one to fit us. So we just we just uh, just jump in. They'll form it around you. So don't worry about. It. <laughs> they'll shape a car to fit whatever we need. Um, last question. So you're on a podcast. It's called Why Not Me. What does that mean to you? Um, any um, advice that you'd give anyone asking that question now, or maybe they're asking themselves uh, that. So I did read your book, um, but my take on why not me is kind of anything is possible. Like what makes somebody else different that they can succeed in X, Y, Z, but I can't. They're, the only thing stopping us from succeeding is ourselves right. and not trying. So I think that, I mean, obviously within limits, right? Like mm -hmm. if you don't have legs, you're not going to run today. Right. But right. you can go somewhere really fast because, right. you know, you have a chair or whatever. So, you know, within limits, but I think that anything is truly possible and you just have to keep taking baby steps. Like you can't say, Oh, today I want to go from here to there. Right. I think just kind of like taking those baby steps to get to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not exactly what you want to be, but maybe it's exactly where you're supposed to be. Right. Great. So I think that's yeah. my wrap up, sir. I love it. Well, you've been phenomenal as expected. So I, I'd love to um, have people direct and find you. So if they want to find you and ask, reach out to you, where can they find you? Social media handles or anything like that? Please do. Um, well, you can't find me on social media because I would encourage all of you all to keep your social media very private because nobody needs to see what you're doing on the weekends. That's just crazy talk. All right. right. But on LinkedIn, you can find me at Jill Kohler. Okay. So, um, if you just go to, um, you just, if you put in the search bar, Jill Kohler Quinnipiac, you will find me very quickly. And uh, I respond to every message I ever receive. And like I said, if I can't respond to you that day, I might say, hey, I've got a really heavy load today. Let me get back to you on Friday and we'll talk. Perfect. And we'll put that, we'll put that in the show notes and uh, any con uh, contact email address, everything's on your LinkedIn profile. Everything's on my LinkedIn profile, or you can also, if you go on to the Quinnipiac website, just quinnipiac.edu, and you go to contacts and you just put, I'm the only Jill in career development. So you'll find me. It's just Jill, J-I-L-L dot Kohler, K-O-E-H-L-E-R at Q-U.edu. And uh, I'm always happy to help in any way that I can. Perfect. Love it. Thank you, Jill. And you've been phenomenal again. So hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And um 
Thank Thanks for, for having me and let me share being, a little bit about myself. Yes. Thank you for being a guest. Loved it. Hope you have a great day. You better get to Quinnipiac soon. I will. I promise. <laughs> Bye. Bye there. We hope you've enjoyed today's show with Jill Kohler from Quinnipiac University. Jill's profession allows her to help many individuals, most importantly, her students, decide which career path is ultimately going to make them happy and fulfill their professional dream of success. Sounds simple, but in most regards, anyone who remembers at the age of 18, 19, 20 years old, trying to decide your future is very difficult. So having that ear to talk to and to listen and to help really just hear you out of where you think you want to go in life, sometimes just having that sounding board helps. Jill helps direct and guide her students to really follow their inner passion and drive and their purpose in finding just that. If you wish to reach out to Jill, please look at our show notes for detailed information and Jill will be happy to assist you in your journey as well. If you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating and share this with a friend. As always, remember, when in doubt, ask yourself, why not me? Why not now? Have a great day.